This is Tech Allowed. Tech articles and blog posts read aloud. This is a special guest episode from my friend Sam Bale, the creator and maintainer of Tech Allowed's sister podcast, Blogcast. Add Blogcast to your subscriptions in your favorite podcast player for more interesting blog posts and articles in podcast format. Crisis Driven Development by Zachary Drillings. First published on January 23rd, 2018. Crisis Driven Development or How to Be Your Best When Shit Hits the Fan. We have all been there. Your phone starts buzzing before you have even made it into the office in the morning. Slack is pinging like crazy with your on-call engineer giving updates or asking for help. It is going to be all hands on deck today and you brace yourself knowing that you're about to walk into a crisis. The first moments of any production fire are vital. They set the tone for the whole process. The team begins by coming together to identify the issue starts assessing alternative fixes, and gathers more information. It's here that you have the opportunity to really change the way the situation is addressed. Returning your system to stability is the goal, of course, and sometimes a simple and clean solution is clear. When that is not the case, though, it is better to recognize the opportunity at hand, pushing you to improve your system. Oftentimes, it is possible for the technology to be in a better place when stability is restored than it was before the fire. Instead of hacking a solution and waiting until tomorrow or next month to fix it properly, break out that list of proposals and system improvements and identify what can be of use. This all must be done, of course, ensuring patient safety as the first priority. Our data platform had just such a production fire situation recently, when a change resulted in our ingestion process breaking. This process, called Change Data Capture, is a component of MS SQL, which allows for exact replication of a database. When it works, it is an excellent process for keeping systems in sync and getting changes quickly. Unfortunately, it can have a few negative repercussions. It is very CPU intensive, must process all changes to tables and requires keeping log files of any changes on the originating server until a change is fully propagated. Together, for a large system, these can cause extensive stability issues and even crash primary databases. This is what happened in this situation. While patient care was not impacted, we were unable to ingest most of the data we required. We already had a new method for extracting data, which was being rolled out slowly. One which gave us greater control of the process and was less prone to stability issues. This extract process essentially just queries all rows in a table within a time frame and streams it back into our database. We can chunk request timeframes and tables however we see fit, carefully monitor to assure we are not causing any undue pressure on client systems and effectively rebuild a database from scratch over a few days, should it be necessary. Now, that's not to say this approach was perfect. 
Several use cases still had reliance on some of the older components, and as it stood, the new method was not able to handle the volume of data being transferred. Patching the existing system would take time and continue to be unstable, setting us up for this to eventually reoccur. Installing the new process would require a few long days to determine how to handle the greater volume and to hack together a way to temporarily keep the legacy system up to date. One major wrinkle was that our new method did not require proving from scratch. Although we had not yet moved completely forward with it, it was well vetted and had been tested in other scenarios. This was not an unproven idea on a lark. Jumping headfirst into something truly unknown could likely have left us in a worse position as new and unexpected issues arose. The team never took its eyes off of how to improve the system, continuing to slowly push forward, plan and develop better approaches, even if they could not be deployed wholesale. That unlocked the opportunity to take a significant leap forward in the wake of this significant issue. In the weeks that followed, we monitored the new extract process closely. Due to the nature of the old system versus the new, the old system being a continuous pull and the new being a batch, it's difficult to compare speed directly, but the full extract process leveled out at just one hour. It had fewer bugs and hiccups than the previous deployment, and on the occasions we have had issues, on one such occasion, the ex extract did not start due to an issue in our orchestration framework, we only need that one hour to catch up. Previously, an issue impacting our ability to pull data could have taken days to completely recover from as changes were streamed into our data processing and storage system. So, how can crisis-driven development, CDD, be deployed on your team? It's less a difficult process and more of a way of thinking, a consistent approach. First, Never stop examining your system, designing and brainstorming ways to make it better. When ideas come up during conversation, write them down and keep lists so that they don't get lost. Make time for the team to brainstorm together. It's fun, a great chance to develop rapport within your team and can be an excellent learning experience. Second, make time to explore, prototype and test. There are always more features to be developed and deployed, but amidst that push, it's vitally important not to let the team's great ideas wither, but rather to test, develop, and prove the keepers. Some approaches will not pan out. Others sound great on paper, but have significant technical hurdles for implementation. Still others wind up scaling less easily than had been expected. Even if a full deployment is not in a near-term plan, Having proven concepts will make it possible to make an educated decision down the road. If the extract process we adopted had not been proven previously on a smaller scale and in less risky situations, we would not have been able to use it here. Third, always take a deep breath during a production crisis. After the initial issue is identified, it is tempting to leap immediately to start trying various fixes. If the issue is deep enough and the fix is expensive enough, if restarting a server fixes everything, then it would not be a good candidate for CDD. 
consider what the best approach is to rectify the problem long term. Fourth, assess the risks and rewards to your options. This cannot be a long and complex process, but it must be considered. This is greatly aided by extensive monitoring and system testing. Had we not been able to quickly establish the speed of the new extract system, we might have deemed it too risky to implement. And last, don't be afraid to jump into that long-term solution once you believe it's the best approach. System evolution sometimes moves in fits and starts, but by treating every crisis as also an opportunity, you can help your team always be at its best. Crisis-Driven Development, Part 2, The Good Parts, by Sam Bale, first published on May 14, 2018. In his blog post on crisis-driven development, software engineer Zach Drillings talks about how to deal with somewhat disastrous system failures and, ideally, emerge on the other side with bigger, better, stronger software and processes. While I agree that moving forward with new infrastructure instead of rolling back or patching things up is definitely a good outcome of a fire, it does come at a high cost. First, it's seriously nerve-wracking. While some might thrive in this sort of high-pressure environment that comes from dealing with a production fire, we really don't want to subject any of our engineers to the stresses of late nights while risking the integrity of our products, just to drive development forward at a rapid pace. It's pretty obvious that the benefits of relying on such a method of driving development forward are far outweighed by the risks of emergency development. Two, there's a reason why we go through prioritization exercises when we plan sprints. We want to get the highest value features and fixes out to our customers at the right time. Bringing all hands on deck to deal with fires is disruptive and requires teams to drop their planned work, which then in turn leads to delays in getting those other important features out the door. Three, did I mention it's nerve-wracking? One line from my colleague Rohit Parakar that always stuck with me is, burnout is real. For the sake of a stable work environment that comes from stable and happy engineers, you really don't want to get into burnout territory. Despite all of these downsides, we have found that there are also some really valuable effects of crisis-driven development, CDD. This got us thinking that we might be able to apply some of these learnings during our software development and rollout process, so CDD without the actual crisis. In this part of the blog post, I will focus on highlighting the good parts of crisis-driven development and how we can apply them without the stress of red alerts, war rooms, and late nights. Focus. When dealing with a crisis, it is clear to both the team internally, as well as other teams that might have dependencies, that the fire is our highest priority right now and that almost all other requests will have to wait. 
we can confidently tell others that we won't start working on anything else until the problem is fixed. Having worked on an infrastructure team with multiple downstream consumers who all have their own values and priorities, I know how hard it is to say no to, well, most of them. However, by cultivating and communicating a culture of radical prioritization as a team and frequently asking yourself, what is the highest value thing we can work on right now? not just on a sprint-by-sprint sprint basis, but for an entire quarter, you get a pretty good litmus test for what's really important. Besides, if your team has so many different responsibilities that you're pulled into multiple directions, it might be time to split ownership of systems to allow getting some of that focus back. Well-defined definition of done. Occasionally, you find yourself working on a fix or a new feature and it's just not completely obvious what the definition of done really is. Test it locally and merge to master. Passed the integration tests. Ran in the staging environment and quote-unquote looked okay. Went into production and customers report that it works the way they expected. Of course, being a good product engineering team, this should be totally clear from the start when we write well-defined tickets, including test plans and acceptance criteria. But let's be honest, sometimes you simply haven't thought through everything end-to-end -end before starting work on something. Especially with infrastructure, i.e. not customer-facing, Features like complex data processing pipelines, we tend to be a little more exploratory and less goal-driven. CDD takes away that guesswork and makes it very clear when the work is done. When production systems work the way they did before the crisis and customers are happy. You can make use of this by focusing on your end-users' expectations. Don't ask, how should this code work? But what is the expected output or functionality of this code? And use this to guide your acceptance criteria. Production level quality. This follows very closely from the previous point on definition of done. Your production system is broken, hence, you treat everything you do as a production feature with all the users, use cases, and load that comes with it. This is also occasionally difficult to consider when working on infrastructure projects. A-B testing, meaning running two different implementations of a feature in production, is not really a concept for infrastructure, and it's often hard to do end-to-end -end tests on these kinds of systems. With CDD, the one use case that you're addressing is your production system. Teamwork. This is one of my favorite aspects of CDD, huddling. I say let's huddle a lot, which unlike formal planning meetings means let's get everyone in the room together, put our heads down and get shit done. 
by working closely with engineers on your team, as well as your major stakeholders, meaning product managers, customer support, etc., preferably in physical proximity, you short-circuit feedback loops and eliminate wait times for code reviews since the people you're working with are sitting right next to you and are also focused on getting this thing out the door. This is one of the benefits of CDD that's easy to apply during peaceful times and usually ends up being an incredibly productive, focused, and even fun afternoon, day, or week that also significantly contributes to team bonding. But also, hierarchy. As a tech startup, we love to iterate on minimum viable products, but crises don't actually leave a lot of room for this. Rather than being able to experiment with your end users, you have an urgent problem and need an adequate solution immediately, period. One of the interesting side effects of this focus is that CDD often requires pulling in engineers who have the relevant experience with and authority over a specific part of our code base or a specific technology in order to get the fire put out as quickly as possible. While we try to maintain a high quote-unquote bus factor, which is the slightly macabre definition of how many engineers can get hit by a bus without losing the ability to maintain this product or feature, for our code base, CDD can be helpful to identify those experts and include them in the decision-making process for regular, non-crisis-related development cycles. Just recently, interestingly enough, one of our infrastructure teams applied some of the CDD principles to a large-scale infrastructure migration. They set strict timelines for when they would turn off the legacy service, which, while somewhat scary, gave downstream teams a very well-defined definition of done and caused them to prioritize this work they needed to get done in order to migrate their system dependencies accordingly. Applying my favorite principle of huddling, the infrastructure team leading the migration was stationed in a dedicated meeting room during migration week, where engineers could stop by and get immediate support for any problems that would occur, thus reducing lengthy feedback cycles that could have slowed down the process. And while we certainly did a lot more planning and pre-work than usual in a crisis, this approach led to a successful final push, culminating in the smashing of yet another piñata that our engineering team is strangely obsessed with. 